0: No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
1: I own it. I did that. Not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take that a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free.
2: Head
3: on free, 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 free. Hello everyone, this is Amanda and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories about alcoholism, addiction, and recovery. I am joined tonight with my co-hosts, Ellie and Catherine. Hi ladies, how are you? Hey, Hi.
4: Amanda.
3: Good. Good. Great. I'm glad to hear your voices. Um, so tonight we are going to be talking about P.A.W.S., which stands for Post-Acute Withdrawal Syndrome. Most people are aware that alcoholics, whether they are heavy drinkers or not, will experience unpleasant withdrawal symptoms, both physical and emotional, when they first get sober. Some of the more obvious signs of this acute or early withdrawal include shaking, sweating, racing heartbeat, muscle twitches, insomnia, and acute anxiety. These symptoms are mostly physical and may last as long as two weeks, but we are prepared for them, and if we stay sober, most people think it will be smooth sailing going forward. It is true that most people will feel better after the first couple of weeks. However, it is the sobriety-based sim- symptoms known as post-acute withdrawal syndromes or pause, which is how we'll refer to it for the rest of the show, that cause many people to relapse. PAUSE may last as long as two years, so understanding what it is and learning ways to manage these symptoms is critical to maintaining long-term sobriety. On this episode of the Bubble Hour, we will discuss these symptoms and share ways to deal with and relieve the effects of PAUSE. Whether you're just getting sober or have been sober for a while, this is a very important show for you. So we have two guests joining us tonight, so let me introduce them before we get into the topic. Hi Denise. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Amanda and everyone. It's an honor to be here and thank <laughs> you for having me. Well, thank you for being on um so to could you tell us a little bit about
0: yourself? Yes so um my name is know? denise uh sure and um i'm fifty nine years old and I'm a grandmother of two um I have two grandchildren eight and eleven and um My drinking started later. I was late to the ball game. So I started, um, I would say, in my late 40s. So for the last 10 years, um, I've been sober a year, which will be January 6th coming up. And um, I stopped because um, I felt like my life was just, my spirit was just dwindling. My life was uh, not going anywhere. And... I felt like um, I would wake up in the morning from the nighttime and I was being robbed slowly of my life. Things were missing. Things were leaving me. And my spirit was just dead. And what happened with me was a series of life circumstances, um, which was losing my baby son, my mother, my mother-in-law, um my religion, that slowly um, fell away after 35 years. Um, and once all of that went away, I buried it. I didn't drink over it. I didn't drink over losing my son. I didn't drink over losing my mother. But as I got older, when things got so bad, instead of uh, looking to my God, praying, and doing the things that I, I really should have done, Um, as we do as humans, I drank. I discovered alcohol. And I had been separated from my father for 12 years um, because I didn't like the way he handled the divorce with my mother. And um, I did separate from him because I didn't think he was very kind to her. And I got back with him because I forgave him for all that he had done because it was eating me up. And it was actually a really good thing, but when I got back with my family, they were big drinkers, and it was my woohoo chance to start drinking again and 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 yeah. like really drinking and it seemed like it progressed with me over this loneliness, this sadness I not only didn't have my friends from my religion, I didn't have my God, I didn't have a religion, and there goes the spirit, and that's what happened to me that was gone. And when that was gone, drinking just took over, and it crept up really cunning, really baffling and powerful. And then it just one day, well, I guess over a series of time, it just got me where I couldn't put it down. I had to keep having my wine and drinking every day, and I didn't like it. It scared me. And then it got to the point where it wasn't comforting me and making me feel good. It was robbing me of my spirit. So when I quit, I felt so much better, except for I did experience some of the symptoms we're going to talk about but um but yeah i i definitely it definitely was the best thing that could have happened to me so that that's basically my story wow um, thank you well that's yeah. that,
3: that's very powerful, and thank you for sharing that yeah. um sure, and good for you for recognizing that <laughs> you know yeah. on your own, <laughs> yeah. that you're the losing of the spirit. I think, you know, a lot of people lose it or, lose, you know, or I know I was losing it for a long time, but I couldn't see it. Um, so, yeah. bravo to yeah. you for that. And thank you. Thank you. And how about you, Kelly? Um, welcome to Hi. the Bubble Hour. Uh, Kelly is our other thank guest you. tonight. Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, too?
2: Hi, Amanda. Hi, everybody. Um I am forty four. I am divorced. I have two teenage daughters. They just turned thirteen and seventeen. Um, I was always I grew I was always a drinker, always party girl. I was a bartender, I was in food and beverage for twenty plus years and it just always included drinking and over the years, you know, I got in trouble, I started getting I had a DUI. Um, in 2000, and then I got another one in 2009. Um, I got divorced. My dad died, and I moved within a month of each other, and I got the DUI, the second DUI with the girls in the car um, in 2009. So after that happened, my drinking progressed, and um, I had to interlock on my car. I drank around that. I had to go through camp, I had to go through AA or meetings. Excuse me, <laughs> court order. <laughs> and um,
0: <laughs> sorry about that.
2: And um, it just, you know, I, it was just getting worse and worse. Um, just isolated myself and drank at home. Drank around. I got my life, my car back. Everything with the interlock off my truck. And I really started drinking like almost daily vodka, just, you know, first it was beer and then wine, and then it just switched over to straight vodka, warm, room temperature, and um, I got in trouble at work, I one day I was just like in the middle of a binge, and I woke up, drank some vodka, took it with me, and drove to work, tried to work, got in trouble at work, a nice woman brought me home, and I just couldn't wait for her to leave so I could drink more, but the day after that, I knew, because I had to face my bosses, I had a meeting set up that I had all I used up all my you know juice cards that was it I was done I knew I couldn't lose my job you know my kids I already had diapers in my life and um you know I was in good with my ex but he I I was hiding my drinking from everyone even my boyfriend I would hide like bottles in my closet and you know try to you know it was just ugly really ugly and um, I knew some people in uh, recovery that I called and uh I just did whatever they told me to do, you know, whether it was reaching out. Everything that was uncomfortable, I did it, and I just didn't ask. I just kept it simple and, you know, just did that, whatever they told me to do. I didn't work for a month, and I just dove into recovery, and my obsession to drink was lifted this time. It's been since December 29, 2013, so I'm almost at 11 months. And Good this time you. in my life, like, it's, I, I can't believe that it's been, it's been so amazing. And I never, and I would always hear that from people in recovery, and I thought they were so full of it, you know. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm not religious. I know you touched on religion, but, you know, I'm just doing everything simply, you know, for the day. So that's how I've been sober.
4: Awesome. Wow. Good for you. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
3: And I uh, I I have a we have a, a a lot of similarities in our stories, Kelly. Really? Well, um oh yeah, yeah, we'll have to chat. We'll have to catch up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, th- thank you for sharing that. Um and um I am going to jump right to the topic now because it is a a big one. Um so now that we have met, met our guests, um we did a show on Pause about a year and a half ago, and it is such an important topic that we thought we it was important for us to discuss it again. I know for me, learning that there were real scientific facts that explain why I felt like I was on an endless emotional roller coaster really helped me accept that I was right where I was supposed to be and gave me hope that it would get better um so that's why I know um, that um for me, I was fortunate enough to be court-ordered to some programs that taught me about pause,
4: <laughs>
3: And you may have two, Kelly. Um, so yeah. it is, um, and I, I also wanted to make sure that I noted that we are not licensed medical professionals. The factual content that we're going to share on the show is taken from literature that we received in different treatment programs and that we uh, believe will be helpful to the listeners. And, of course, we will share our own experience with pause as well because that's what the show is all about. So to start, I'm going to read some information from the book *Staying Sober* by Terence T. Gorski, G-O-R-S-K-I. That explains pause very well. Um, so this is straight from the book. You may think that withdrawal from substance abuse only refers to the immediate physical symptoms experienced when your body is trying to adjust to not having drugs and/or alcohol in its system. We are all mostly aware of the more obvious signs of withdrawal, shaking, sweating, racing heartbeat, muscle twitches, insomnia, and acute anxiety. Yet, it is the sobriety-based symptoms, especially post-acute withdrawal, that make sobriety so difficult. The presence of brain dysfunction has been documented in 75 to 95% of the recovering alcoholics addicts tested. Recent research indicates that the symptoms of post-acute withdrawal associated with drug and alcohol-related damage to the brain may contribute to many cases of relapse. PAUSE is a group of symptoms of addictive disease that occur as a result of abstinence from addictive chemicals. In the alcoholic addict, these symptoms appear seven to 14 days into abstinence after stabilization from the acute withdrawal. PAUSE is a biopsychosocial syndrome. It results from the combination of damage to the nervous system caused by alcohol, or drugs, and the psychosocial stress of coping with life without drugs or alcohol. Recovery causes a great deal of stress. Many chemically dependent people never learn to manage stress without alcohol and drug use. The stress aggravates the brain dysfunction and makes the symptoms worse. The, the severity of pause depends upon two things, the ser- severity of the brain dysfunction caused by the addiction and the amount of psychosocial stress experienced in recovery. The symptoms of pause typically grow to peak intensity over three to six months after abstinence begins. The damage is usually reversible, meaning the majority of symptoms go away in time if proper treatment is received, so there is no need to fear. With proper treatment and effective sober living, it is possible to learn to live normally in spite of the impairments, but the adjustment does not occur rapidly. Recovery from the nervous system damage usually requires from six to 24 months with the assistance of a healthy recovery program. Recent research is showing that for some recovering people, the symptoms of pause often occur at regular moon cycle intervals and without apparent outside stressors. Often those 30, 60, 90, 120, 180, and 1 to 2 year sobriety dates seem to be triggering times for pause symptoms to increase. People recovering from long-term opiate and stimulant Use often have pause symptoms for no apparent reason for up to 10 years after they have stopped using their drug of choice. Often, pause symptoms appear to come and go without apparent reason and without any specific pattern. Individuals who intend to have consistent long-term recovery must learn to recognize these symptoms and learn how to manage them. So, whoa, I don't know about all of you, but when (laughs) I I read this, I kind of felt relieved. I was kind of like, okay, so I'm not going crazy after all. Um yeah. because to that's me correct. that's what the pause pause felt like. Um I felt like I was going crazy. So um uh so what are the symptoms? Um Catherine, do you want to jump in and tell us about those? Sure. The symptoms of pause can include
1: fuzzy thinking, aka brain fog, inability to concentrate, problems with memory, inability to develop a normal sleep pattern, repetitive thinking emotions that feel out of control, difficulties managing stress, problems with coordination, feelings of depression or feelings of anxiety. The individual may feel like they lack initiative, cravings, feeling tired all the time, difficulty experiencing pleasure, problems getting along with other people, obsessive compulsive disorder or feelings of guilt. These symptoms can be very dangerous for the alcoholic because it may make them feel that it's just not worth it being sober. They may use them to justify relapse, and if someone does relapse, they may be afraid to get sober again just to have to experience these symptoms all over again. Sometimes the person turns to other maladaptive behaviors such as workaholism, exercise addiction, or excessive spending to cope. It is also important to note that in some instances, these persistent symptoms and recovery can be a sign that the individual is dealing with some other issue. Many addicts have a dual diagnosis that they are unaware of. This means, in addition to their addiction, they may suffer from depression, anxiety disorder, or bipolar disorder. It's possible this undiagnosed problem drove the individual into substance abuse in the first place. They may have been attempting to self-medicate. There are also people who develop a dual diagnosis as a result of their substance abuse. If people have an untreated dual diagnosis, it can prevent them from finding happiness in recovery. Some people may just dismiss their symptoms as pause and delay seeking treatment. It is always advisable to seek a professional opinion if the individual is finding it difficult to settle into recovery due to unpleasant symptoms. In most instances, it will be possible to manage the dual diagnosis so that the individual will be able to build a successful recovery. So what actually causes post-acute withdrawal syndrome? There are a number of reasons why people experience pause, including the individual has developed a tolerance for alcohol and drugs, and this means that the body has adapted to functioning with these substances. It can take a bit of time before the body adapts to now functioning without these chemicals. Many individuals develop nutritional deficiencies as a result of their substance abuse. Until these deficiencies are resolved, the individual can experience symptoms. Long-term substance abuse interferes with the body's normal ability to deal with stress. This means that initially, the individual will have stronger reactions to stressful events. For years, the addict will have used alcohol and or drugs as a means to numb their emotions. It can feel as if these emotions are out of control in early recovery because the individual is not used to dealing with them. In some relatively rare cases, the individual may have more significant problems that can result in continued symptoms in long-term recovery. Those who have developed conditions such as alcoholic dementia may have causes may have caused irreversible damage to their brain. The individual may be able to learn how to function at a higher level, but in some cases they will just have to adapt to living with this mental impairment.
3: Wow. Well, um okay, well, so now that we've talked about some of the facts, um why don't we um get into our experience with pause and I'd like to start by hearing from our first guest Denise how um did, did you experience pause
0: symptoms and if so what were they like for you uh yes I did I um my husband quit uh drinking with me so we were right along in the same time period and we both pretty much experienced the same thing I thought when I quit, I was going to feel so much better, but I actually, both of us couldn't sleep. Now, that was a problem that we did have when we were drinking, but um, I thought it would get better when we stopped, and it didn't. It actually kind of got worse. I also experienced um, night sweats so bad that I was soaking my pajamas and the bed, and, um, and we were very irritable. We had brain fog. I mean, this was both of us. So we, we figured, and, and the one thing I wanted to say is I had heard the show a half a year before I quit that Ellie had um, hosted about pause, and it really was tremendous, a tremendous help to me because I did explain to my husband the symptoms that were, we were experiencing as well because I listened and he didn't. And it helped me because I think if I hadn't heard that, I might have tended to quit because it was so difficult. Now, I did get that pink cloud where I felt so good that I was, you know, had I'm going to 12-step programs and I'm um, working the steps, got a sponsor and all that. But I still was feeling all of those symptoms. Um, I did, the, the second month into my um, quitting, I went to a family function for my dad's 83rd birthday or something in Florida with my five siblings, and that's all that went. No husbands. My husband wasn't there. And I experienced some pretty strong anxiety there because there was some family difficulties going on that I would have normally drank over, and they were all drinking at the time. And I was having some pretty bad anxiety, and I never had anxiety as a young girl or even in my adult years because I drank over anything difficult. Well, I couldn't drink. I I wanted to, but I did reach out, and I called people, and I got through it. But that happened for the next... I guess that happened to me up to about seven to nine months into not drinking, but it's almost a year for me now, and I feel like um, that's getting much better. The brain fog is getting better. The sleeping, everyone told me I was going to sleep better. I'm on an online group that a lot of um, you are a part of, and I put my symptoms in that I wasn't sleeping, and what what do people think of that? And they all said they experienced the same thing and that my sleep would get better, and it did. And I'm glad that I listened because um, I do feel so much better now. Once in a while, I will get um, some of the things like the brain fog and just feeling like we're just not right. And I'm glad that we're going over this again because it's saying that you can go up to this for two years. This can... You can have these symptoms, so um, you know it's pretty powerful stuff. This drugs and alcohol that your body, I guess, has to get rid of. But I don't know if you want to hear what I've done to um, help myself through that, or if you just want to hear my symptoms right now, because I have I done well, things would... Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna get into um, on how people manage it um, in in just a bit, so we can okay. we can sure. <laughs> get back to that, but um, yeah, that um, you know it's interesting when you say about the the brain fog, I remember people telling me, like you know when i I first got sober, and I felt great, same thing, pink, pink cloud, and they're like, Oh, you're um, oh, just wait till you clear up, and I was like, What are you talking about like I'm totally <laughs> fine i i've been i've I've been yeah. sober for like three weeks, like my brain's all cleared up, all alcohol's out of my system, and <laughs> little did I know, like <laughs> That um, your brain really takes a long, it takes a while to heal. Um, yeah. As good as I felt, there were plenty of things, and the restless, restless sleep was. Uh, I mean, the no sleep was tough, really hard to get through. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm glad you did hear the show and and were able to get through those things because I I I understand that you know why so many people do give up hope.
0: Um, because it's, yeah. it's hard,
3: it's hard work getting through those things.
0: Absolutely. That um, was huge for me to know it. So but, yeah, that's great.
3: Good.
2: Okay. Um, how okay. about you, Kelly? Did you um, um, what were
3: your did you have pause symptoms and-
2: Yeah, I did. Um I also during like my drinking days there was because 'cause I'm seeing now like substance abuse causes this in your brain, so I had substance abuse with drugs as well for a while. Um it was always alcohol, but I just, you know, for your information, I did, you know, indulge in marijuana and cocaine, um, pills, Xanax, stuff like that, Percocet, whatever, especially in 2009. So I have no idea if, it, like, the drug use has anything to do with PAUSE. But, um, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like, of course, it does, along with the mm-hmm. alcohol. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> You know, everything was turned off in me for a, a while, like, you know, no emotion, nothing. So when I got sober, um, of course, I was happy, and I was like, you know, this is wonderful, Cause especially because I was, I just the obsession, I can't even explain to you how it was lifted. I, I, I don't know. It's a miracle. It's crazy, but I'm so grateful that it has been, so that just made me so happy, and then, like, Denise said, around seven months. Uh, I have a sponsor, and I I just thought I was losing my mind. You know, sleep was always an issue, so I expected it. Um, The brain fog, definitely out of control emotions, where I just would shut down, sit on my couch, watch TV. Not depression, like I can't get out of bed, but I just didn't want to do anything. I just watched mindless television, so I didn't have to think or deal, you know, because bills and life and work and my car broke down, whatever. So I, I don't know how to deal with it um felt insecure. Um, definitely had feelings being guilty, especially, you know, with everything I did while drinking, but now I can't perform and be like super sober mom and wonderful girlfriend, so I just feel guilty about that. You know, and and I just couldn't deal and I would just shut off to the point where I needed help because I was shutting off the person who I love, you know, besides my children is my boyfriend and I just would shut down. Like, I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't know what to, because I couldn't, I didn't have any feelings anymore. And um, and then somebody mentioned to me about pause, and I, I read all the symptoms. I'm like, oh, check, 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 check. you know, I have all of it. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: All of it. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. I'm not crazy. You know, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I thought. And I just, you know, researched it. I'm like, okay, that's 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 it. And, okay, two years, I can you know, as long as I know that I'm not crazy crazy <laughs> and there's, you know, ways yeah. to heal mm-hmm. I definitely felt a ton of relief, you know. And I learned ways, too, that we'll talk about, like, how to relieve it, definitely. But to put a name to it, I, I really – because I, I don't really remember hearing about this before. I didn't pay attention because I wasn't really giving it, you know, my all to be sober. But this time I just, you know, really – explained a lot. That's great.
4: Yeah,
3: it it yeah, it, it, again it's um it, it, it really does help so much to just learn about, you know, not it just not just other, you know, lots of other things too, but yeah, what a relief. Um another person happy not to be crazy. <laughs>
0: um
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm crazy, but, you know. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting you said 7 months too because I I remember um Feeling like everything in in the beginning, I did everything was great. Like you know, I was on the pink cloud, and then it was it was it was kind of a ways down the road. All of a sudden, I was like a mess, and I was like, "Where did this come from?" And um, but I did know about it, so I was a, a, a little prepared for it. So it it definitely helped. Helped. How about you, Catherine? Um, did you have yeah, well, the of pause symptoms?
1: I share the relief. <laughs> you know, I I did feel relieved when I found out about pause and identified so much. But I have to say, I remember being like, "Oh man, two years that was <laughs> that was a little hard to handle." What I didn't know then, which I know now, is that it's not my my symptoms didn't just kind of maintain. At the same, you know, level for you know now I'm at just over two and a half years sober. So, um, take heart, you know they they kind of <laughs> come and go. They I, I love this thing that they're like they operate on the moon cycles like we're werewolves or something. But I. <laughs> <laughs> But but I swear the only thing that kept me from drinking on my first anniversary was when somebody told me about someone they knew who relapsed on their first anniversary and when I was like, Oh great, this is I, I made it through a year, now I can that now I can go have a drink. Thank goodness I kinda <laughs> knew that and said so it's the same thing here that like I know what these symptoms are and I really identified in the earlier part where the reading said that, you know, people can relapse over this, and I can really see how that would be. I mean, for me, I've frequently spoken on the show about my kind of lifelong history of anxiety and and complex PTSD, and what happened was for me, months three through seven, um, my anxiety spiked probably worse than it really had ever been. Um, I will note that I was working then and and still now with a therapist who specializes in trauma so and I had had a long term relationship with her anyway so she um you know was familiar with my issues so I had support that way which I think is important to note um I also really identify with this thing of feeling like I had a lack of initiative and I had a real judgment of myself on that issue um you know where and i definitely turned to workaholism which is something that i'm um i'm finally making progress on because i i did a uh so a fourth step with my sponsor which is a you know an, an inventory where we find our part in in a resentment and that's really helping me unhook from my workaholism but it was this weird combination of working all the time, but at the same time feeling like I lacked any initiative or any clarity. And I would really beat myself up about that. Um, So that, that was an interesting thing to hear how it was connected with, for me, it it feels like connecting with just overarching difficulties, managing stress. Right. And I was so used to using alcohol for that. Um, And the last thing I'll say is that, I, not only was I relieved to find out about pause, it gave me talking points with my partner so that I, I gave him an article about pause because I was like in bed freaking out with anxiety all the time. And I finally was able to say to him, you know, listen, read this because this is exactly what I'm feeling. So it was helpful not only for me, but it provided some context for him Um you know to kind of explain this weird roller coaster that I was on.
2: Mm-hmm. I did the same thing with my partner. Wow, what and it? Help and for? <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I
1: mean
0: because
1: well, you're just trying to explain ahead, to a normie what it's like to to be an alcoholic and that's yeah. kind of a a fool's errand, I think. Um but then to try to you know and to try to explain like it, it it's just it's it's hard for us to explain to ourselves or to each other right so it's
3: you know right are right. just confused some, on our own
1: yeah this gave some framework and sort of in a scientific way that was
3: useful yeah that's 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 a great. Great idea, because I, I know I would I would literally would be like laughing, you know, right along, and all of a sudden just like start crying. I mean, I, I, I yeah. there were times where I was I was that that it was that much of a roller coaster for me.
2: Yep, um, me too. Yeah. Oh. Well. Yeah. How about you, Ellie?
4: Um, wow, yeah. I'm sitting here identifying with just about everything and I, I'm coming at it from also a, a somewhat unique perspective too because I um, have relapsed and come back from a relapse and I it's interesting for me to observe how my pause symptoms evolved from the first time I got sober after i have been drinking for years and years and I would say the first four or five months were really just trying to get relief from the physical symptoms that we talked about. Uh, insomnia definitely... Um, you know, I'll categorize anxiety for now as more of an emotional symptom, but the sort of the physical feelings of anxiety the restlessness yeah. and the irritability and kind of a shakiness and not the same shakiness as the you know initial withdrawal symptoms that people can experience, but just sort of an overall emotion, you know physical and emotional yeah. shakiness um also kind of like spikes in heartbeat and like mild panic and things like that i I suffered from those for at least four or five months when the, the, I got sober the first time. And um, my pause symptoms weren't actually as bad the first time I got sober. I think part of it may have been a little bit of the pink cloud syndrome because when those horrible physical symptoms started to dissipate, I, I was just so happy and so relieved. Like the first time I really slept through the night and I really started to feel, you know, the brain fog started to clear. I found a really big benchmark for that was 90 days for me um and i have since learned that there's a you know physiological reason for that there's some you know biological changes that happen to us particularly at 90 days which is why the first you know 3 months are so critical to abstain mm. um to get past that um and I, by the time i hit a year the first time around i would say i was completely symptom free as to in terms of the pause my anxiety got a lot better um you know i i really i kind of i I really felt like I was firing on all cylinders for for a number of years. And then um, I relapsed after uh, a little over about five years of sobriety, and um, it was a pretty quick relapse, and it went right into, um, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I went right into cancer treatment, which interestingly involved a lot of narcotic treatment, which I had to have for pain relief. Um, And I didn't, I was grateful that I never abused the, the pain, you know, was things like Dilaudid and there was Ativan for some of the emotional symptoms and OxyContin, I mean, all sorts of pain relievers, and I didn't abuse those, but it definitely affected my addiction center in my brain, and I think that it really did result, um, it fired up for me. Catherine, I really identify with you what you said with the workaholism, because although I didn't immediately pick up a drink... As soon as I came out of the cancer treatments and I was weaned off all of the pain medication, I I had that. You explained it really well, Catherine. That feeling of being, you know, incredibly busy and you know have a a very full life from the outside, but feeling really scooped out and hollow on the inside. Um, and I I actually think looking back now, I can recognize that as probably some pauses related to the to the opiate and painkiller use that I was under for the for the, my cancer treatments. Um, and so I stayed sober for about a year and a half after i i mean i you know after I got off the painkillers and I was um really really working way too much and engaging in all kinds of other maladaptive sort of substitute behaviors and that of that eventually took me to relapse with alcohol and one of the things that was really poignant for me was even though my my relapse didn't it wasn't huge in duration it was about a week. Um first of all the mental obsession and compulsive compulsion came back immediately like as in with the first drink it was as if i had never been sober at all and um so that was you know challenging to say the least and then also all of the physical symptoms came back the withdrawal symptoms of shaking and sweating and and you know horrible anxiety and horrible panic and insomnia those came back immediately even after only about 5 days of drinking after 5 years of sobriety um and so I and I ended up going to treatment for thirty days after that relapse. And it's interesting because I I did have some ex, some pause symptoms at, in treatment. Definitely brain fog. Definitely um, a feeling of sort of just that flat feeling, kind of scooped out, not really present. Um, and really, really clamoring to get back to what I you know get back to my life, get back to work, get back to some, you know anything to get me out of my own skin. I, that I think that's probably tied to. Emotions feeling completely out of whack. I mean, I would have two or three things to do during the day, and I would feel absolutely, totally overwhelmed by the prospect of that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: And even when I got out of treatment and I got back into my kind of daily routine, um, things like the grocery store, I'd walk in, and the lights seemed really bright, and it just seemed noisy, and I couldn't make the smallest decisions, and I was really, really just overwhelmed by absolutely everything. And... um, i I can recognize now again in hindsight that I was also i fall into the dual diagno- di, sorry dual diagnosis category where I really do think that my years of alcohol abuse and then subsequent relapses um contributed to to make my depression and anxiety worse because I made it ninety days after that treatment and i I definitely had pause symptoms pretty bad pause symptoms the entire time um and I wasn't coping with those I was just trying to Find other ways to escape, like through work or, uh, you know, mindless television watching. Things that every other people have mentioned. And I had another relapse after 90 days of sobriety, which led to a 90 day um, treatment program. And in that 90 day treatment program, we started to pull apart the difference between what pause is and what underlying symptoms are of depression and anxiety. Because it's very, it's a very intricate process. I'm glad, Catherine, that you mentioned therapy also, because they feel very, very similar. That, you know, is that feeling, that, that flat feeling, is that depression, is that pause, is it both, is it sort of a chicken or the egg thing? Um, and what I learned is that I, I really did need to have a therapist working with me as I was going through these pause symptoms and figuring out what needs to be, you know, is there depression that needs to be medicated or other issues that need to be addressed, um, because it, one couldn't get better without the other. I had to find the right antidepressant, and I had to find the right kind of therapist to talk to about um, helping me control other substitute maladaptive behaviors to control my lifestyle, to simplify my life. We'll talk about that more when we talk about the tools that we use. Um, so I, I addressed simultaneously both getting, you know, having abstaining for 90 days, not drinking, not having the symptoms, the um that are related to drinking but also attacking the depression and the anxiety and the PTSD at the same time with very, very close therapy supervision. So um, in a nutshell, I think what I would, what I, what I really wanted to, to stress was that with the relapse, relapses, even after a pretty significant chunk of sobriety, um, the pause symptoms came back. The, the first, the, you know, acute withdrawal and then the post-acute withdrawal symptoms came roaring back. It's It's, just validates the fact that even in sobriety our, our disease is still alive or is still dormant in our brain and just ready to pick up where it left off, and that um if you know as those symptoms were not improving over time, like I hit the ninety day mark and I didn't really feel any better that if I had sought some therapy to address possible dual diagnosis issues that I I might, instead of picking up a drink, which is what I did, I wanted to self-medicate instead of go get help to understand um, some of the issues behind my drinking, so that the, the therapy piece of it ended up being extremely, extremely important for me. And I'll, uh, the last thing I wanted to say is, I mean, right now I'm at about eight months sober after my last relapse, and I am, it's so interesting to hear you guys all talking about that seven month mark because I... um. You know, I'm i really have simplified my life, and I'm in pretty intensive therapy, and I'm working a really strong program of recovery. I'm going to a ton of meetings, and it's just about all I can handle. I'm I'm really still in that. If you throw, if my life isn't very routine and predictable, if you throw anything surprising at me, I get that feeling of overwhelmed, and then I just, then I kind of want to you know hide or watch too much Netflix or do something that's play video games or something that is just to, to get me out of my skin. Um, and I can totally understand why this particular part of sobriety that is coming towards the end of the first year, and even just past the first year, why people relapse in this period, because it's it's uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable feeling mm-hmm. to have, and it's only because I've been through it before, and I know the worst possible thing I can do is either drink, obviously, or not address um you know the either lifestyle changes or therapy changes that I need to make to get to the other side of it because I know it gets better, but it is particularly challenging right now. About seven or eight months past it, past my relapse, and the, again the relapse didn't even last a long time, um, but the pause symptoms still apply. Wow, so I can relate. to, Yeah, man, yeah, it's not necessarily <laughs> cheerful news, but it's you know it's the the under the silver line to all of this is that. Um, You know, it's time. It's time and patience, and and we're going to get into some of the um, tools and ways that we can cope with these symptoms in the second part of our show. So, Amanda, unless anybody wants to jump in, I'll move into that part of that now. Yeah,
3: I had just a couple of things I wanted to add. One one is I think it's really um, – well, one thing I forgot to mention that I wanted to mention, but also I think it's really interesting, you know, when you talk about the symptoms being – you know, coming back and, and some of them stronger and, you know, some of them, the, you know, the same feelings that you had before, but, I, I you know, um, it's just interesting to me, like on just a scientific level, you're really, you know, because your your brain begins to heal and then, you know, by drinking again, your brain, you must confuse your brain. Like, yeah. I can understand why it would really be, I don't know if they talked about that at all in treatment, but it, I would imagine it's really... Um, it's just really confusing, and that's you know, it, it is why we you know we stress, of course, to you know to try to push through these things, and um, because that's just that's hard, that's hard stuff, and it's it's really, um, yeah, that was a new new piece that we picked up on um, when I was doing the research this time about, and it had never occurred to me how closely the similar uh, the symptoms are to. You know, another diagnosis. You know, something yeah. that need may need some other form of treatment. That's so important. So important. And they definitely
4: feed each other. And I, I just want to jump in, too, because you make a really excellent point with that. One of the things that I've learned in treatment also was that, um, and the and the reason why this relapse phenomenon happens, and it can happen after two days of sobriety, or it can happen after years of sobriety, is that in the addiction center of our brain, I, I think of it like a roadway. You know, when we get sober, we put the drink down, we abstain from alcohol or drugs, and it's almost kind of like they put a road closed sign up. You know, so you get the, the um, (laughs) you're no longer feeding that pathway with the drugs or alcohol, but the road is still there. It's just closed. And what what our brains do is they literally build synapses that work around that old pathway that we used to use to, you know, we controlled our emotions with drugs and alcohol. We build a whole new road, and so we start to experience things like joy and. Sleep and all these emotions that we've been numbing out with this new pathway, but if we pick up a drink or a drug, we knock down that road close sign, and it just it's like that it your brain completely forgets that' built a new road, it goes right back to that old familiar pathway, and it that's why it picks up where it left off, if not worse. It's like your your brain. It's just asleep. It's not gone. It's not ever healed completely. So that was a really yeah. I thought a pretty powerful visual of of why there's a physiological reason why these things happen. It's again not because we're crazy, but because we've rewi- we've permanently rewired our brains. Yeah, wow.
3: Yeah, the and just one other thing before we um, and anyone else if they have something to jump in on too. One other thing that as you guys were you and Catherine both talked about. The workaholism, um, I had an opposite effect. I was, when I was drinking, I was a a workaholic, too, in an extreme, Um, you know, working 78 hours a week and loving it. And um, what was really, really difficult for me, because work was my identity, is when I got back to work, I had a total lack of motivation. And I was like, when I got sober, I was like, oh, my God, I can't do my job. You know, it was and it was really um, it was that dramatic for me. I, it, you know, I it was I was like, how am I going to do this? And, and and so I just wanted to mention that because it took me a lot of time to um, get back into. Um, I do I you know I continued to do my job, but it, you know not to the level that I had done it before. Um, but I also I built back up to you know I do a, a great job at, my, at work. But I also have boundaries at work, and um, because I have to make, I can't. I can no longer afford to be a workaholic. I need to um, make recovery part of my life, so I have to have balance all the time. So that was um, when you guys mentioned the workaholism. I was like, oh, you know, I was the complete opposite. I was like, I, I my I had no motivation um, except for to focus on my recovery. Like you said, that was all I could handle for for quite a while. Um, So I don't know if anything popped up for anyone else As other people shared If anyone before we get into how we deal with these things Anyone else? All right. Well, all we
4: right, well Ellen, you want to uh, get into that? Yeah, I'll move into. We'll, we'll uh, move on to the more hopeful part of the program because I know <laughs> a lot of these things probably sound pretty. You know, they sound kind of awful, but there are ways that we can cope with these symptoms. And when you think about it, they're all things that are beneficial to our overall health and things that that benefit us anyway. Um, but they're particularly useful when we're when we're battling with pause. Um, so instead of thinking of these things as work, we can think of them um as what I like to refer to as sort of like turd gifts, you know, things that we um don't necessarily want to have to face and but they they end up being something that that if we push through them, really can enrich our lives. Um, so we'll go, I'll go through a list of some of the things that we um, can use to cope with these symptoms, and the first one is stabilization. And if you're experiencing pause, it's an, it's important to bring them under control, um, the symptoms under control as soon as possible, and some suggestions that help you be aware of what is going on and help you to interrupt the symptoms before they get out of control. The first one, and I, I'm a huge believer in this one, is verbalization start talking to people who are not going to accuse or criticize or minimize you, and typically those are people who are also in recovery um, and who understand the way that your, your brain works, have been through it before and are on the other side of it you need to talk about where you what you are experiencing and it will help you look at your situation more realistically when we're trapped in our own brains at least for me I know this is true um even though I think I know what my friend is going to tell me or my sponsor is going to tell me or someone's going to say oh go for a run or pray if it's if I don't vocalize what I'm experiencing and just hear it for what it is it becomes huge in my head Um, It also helps you bring internal symptoms to your conscious awareness, and it will give you support when when you need others to rely upon. Um, So that's probably the major change that I have made in my recovery this time around, is even if I think I know what the advice is going to be, even if I think I know what's going on, I have to tell somebody else, somebody safe, how I feel. Um, Another one is ventilation. Express as much as you can about what you are thinking and feeling, even if it seems irrational and unfounded. I think of this as like the 2 a.m. thinking. You know, have you ever been lying in bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and there's like one little thing you have to do the next day and it just seems totally insurmountable, like you can't possibly handle it? <laughs> and you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh, why was I so worried about that? I felt I felt like that all the time. <laughs> Everything felt like insurmountable and, um, you know, just my 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 ability to put things to in their rightful place was just completely out of whack. So talking to somebody else about how I was feeling really helped me. Reality testing is another one. Ask someone if you are making sense, not just what you are saying, but your behavior. Your perception of what is going on may be very different from reality. This is a really hard one for me because I like to think that I know exactly what's going on you know i'm you know and i and you know when it comes to other people i'm I'm pretty good at that when it comes to myself, not so much. And I actually, the first time I got sober, I would call my sponsor on the phone with a situation, maybe a family situation or a work situation, and I would literally say to her, real or not real, let me just tell you what's going on and how I'm feeling about it, and ask her to put things in perspective for me. Um, I didn't always listen or take the advice, but just the act of of telling somebody really helped put things in perspective. Another one is problem-solving and goal-setting what you are going to do right now and what are you going to do right now and what is actually going on. You can choose to take action that can change things. Um, and sometimes these actions can be really simple. I was completely freaking out about something the other day and I talked to my friend in recovery about it and you know, she told me to go wash the dishes. Just like, you know what, you, you can't handle that right now. so go. And I was like, and the dishes and this and the laundry and that. And she said, okay, well, let's start with dishes. Just go do that you know some kind of even minimal action can really so there's short-term goal setting and then there's also the long-term goal setting and an example of that would be knowing if we can get to the other side of these symptoms that we're going to feel better that's a goal and it might be the only goal we can handle in the in the early part of this also backtracking think back over what is happening can you identify how the episode started like if you're experiencing anxiety or panic what could have turned it off sooner? Think of other times that you were experiencing symptoms of pause. What turned it on? What turned it off? Were there other options that might have worked better or sooner? Um, I think the example, I apologize, I'm I'm blanking out as to who mentioned a, um, a family situation. Denise, I think it might have been you, about yes. how putting ourselves in a situation that produced anxiety, I think a lot of us, I think women in particular, you know, we show up, we need to be there, we're caregivers, we, you know, we really can often quite literally be the center of the universe for our families, and so we put ourselves in positions that maybe we don't need to be in, and if we experience anxiety in a certain situation, do we really need to do that again, or can we give it some time that might give us a chance to, um, you know, I, I... back right now because I'm in the middle of this is if I don't expose myself to something that could be dangerous or trigger anxiety, then you know if I stay home, then I know I'm safe. And these, these tools are critical when we are in crisis. However, managing pause on a daily basis is an important part of early recovery. And here are some things that can ease the effects. Look at your support system. Your support system can help you stabilize your feelings. Talk to trusted friends. Talk to your family if they're safe your sponsor and other supportive people to help you work through your difficulties. Protect yourself. That's what I was just talking about from threats to your sobriety. That's crucial to making it through pause. And that might be that might mean saying no to some things that you would historically have said yes to at least for a little while. Um my sponsor likes to tell me that I don't have to go to every fight I'm invited to and I like that one. You know, yeah. I can stand I can choose to stand down. I can choose to do nothing and in lots of situations in particular in early sobriety doing nothing is doing something pretty important at least for someone like me who likes to throw myself headlong into everything. Um proper nutrition, this is a big one. It's a balanced diet that's low in sugar, fat and caffeine. They do help reduce the symptoms of pause. When we did this show a year and a half ago, we all started <laughs> laughing when we were talking about
0: mm-hmm. a diet
4: that's low in sugar because you hear lots of advice in early recovery about how your body's craving sugar and so having candy and doing things, you know, ice cream, things that feel good that aren't alcohol or drugs. And in really early sobriety, it's better to reach for a bowl of ice cream or a candy bar than it is to drink, obviously. But I did find as... Um, and I'm doing this now again because I got back on the sugar wagon or off the sugar wagon or whatever it is, started eating way too much sugar, is that when um, I'm not indulging in too much sugar and particularly caffeine, my PAW symptoms, expe- especially anxiety, go down. Regular exercise, its that's huge. We all know that it helps re- relieve tension and anxiety, and this definitely helps reduce pause symptoms also. And that can be something as simple as a 20-minute walk. You know, I tend to overdo everything, and I think if I can't run five miles, then I'm, what's the point? Well, I'm now finding that if I just take a quick walk, it helps a lot. And we talked about this, too. Counseling, whether it's individual, group, or both, it will help you cope with your problems and keep you connected to your goals and recovery. And educating yourself about pause. And I love that it was brought up about educating the people that are closest to you in your life about pause also. So educate yourself and or your loved ones about pause, addiction, and recovery in every way possible. It will help you maintain perspective on the symptoms that you're experiencing, like listening to this show. Um, And balanced living, it's important for everyone. If you try your best to keep good balance and stability in your life, you'll be better able to handle the symptoms of pause. And that's an interesting one. Um, It sounds so simple, balanced living, but all of us touched on workaholism. All of us touched on other maladaptive behaviors. Um, I was doing this time around when I got sober, I had a little compulsive shopping problem on the Internet. Um, and I, it's just our body is aching for that little addictive thrill that we get, and I get a little addictive thrill out of doing too much or spreading myself too thin, and so that's probably been the most challenging one for me is to just do things in, in every all things in moderation. Um, for me, is a big part of balanced living. You so don't do now that very well. What? No, we talk about that the, on the scale of zero or ten. Do zero to ten, I'll take zero or I'll take ten, but if you give me five, I just I want to claw my face off. I'm terrible <laughs> at mid-speed. <I'm, laughs> somebody said they were going to get me a T-shirt and put the number five on it, and I was like, yeah, know, I'm all set with that. Not, am not going to do five. Um. So I I touched on some of the bigger ones, but we'd love to hear about um, from all of you and how you help manage your pause symptoms, and let's start with uh, Denise again.
0: Okay, um, this was huge to hear this again, and uh, I related to a lot of the things that you went through, Ellie, um, and Amanda. And speaking about um, the the workaholism was the one thing for me. Um, I quit in January of last year, and my summer work schedule, which I have a cleaning business, gets very busy in the summer. And I felt so good that I found myself taking on too much work and I became a workaholic this summer, and I know it was an escape. It was, you know, partly that. And then the September, things died down, and, and I got – I felt better. I, I was able to balance things more, manage things, and I could see that that is something that I shouldn't do. <laughs> so the first thing I'll have to say, though, when I first quit drinking, I wanted this to work. I had done this myself six months before – and relapsed but never went to any meetings or support didn't know that anything about it and I thought I really wasn't an alcoholic but when I did start to come to meetings and learn all the things that everyone was telling me was me as well I wanted to get this so when I first quit drinking I actually began my quitting with a cleanse and what what it is is basically I've done this for Uh, probably a few years of my life, every six months, and it's an Ayurveda cleanse where you are off of dairy, sugar, wheat, um, well, alcohol, but, you know, of course I had quit. And um, pretty much everything, but you're eating um, a good diet of this. It's called kitchari. It's mung beans and rice and then some herbs. And it really helps cleanse your liver. It balances you. You're on ghee as well, which kind of really makes you very calm. No caffeine. Or any of that. Okay, so that really helped me. That gave me a fighting chance because I knew that if I was on sugar or or off of the wine, which is what I drank, red wine, I was going to want that sugar. And I, any time I drank the red wine, I threw myself into a blood sugar high where I wanted ice cream an hour later. I wanted yogurt. I wanted anything. I, I wanted sugar, but I, I didn't allow myself that. So I would go and, well, I got ice cream, so I did allow that. But um, so I knew I knew myself well enough that I was going to really mess myself up. So I think that helped me. But then as I went on in the journey, I did start eating some sugar, and it really did throw me off. So I had to get off of it again. So I would say huge for me is diet and, and staying off of all all those things that imbalance me. And um, the other thing that you guys were talking about was um, just keeping it simple. And that that was huge for me as well because, um, like I said, in the summer I was working like a crazy woman um, but feeling good, but I couldn't really handle anything else. And um, I realized that saying no is really important. So I have to keep my life pretty much balanced and simple I go to 12-step meetings, and they are huge for me. I had stopped in the summer pretty much. I, I only went like to a few, and I felt like I was going to relapse again because I wasn't working it. So I realized if I work my program and I balance my life and I keep it simple and I don't allow people into my life that have triggered me in the past, uh, including family and, and uh, old friends, and not saying they're all out of my life but I, I have my boundaries and I'm learning that that's okay. I can think of myself first and my sobriety and anything that will affect it has to come second. My sobriety has to come first. So um that that's like been huge for me. I mean, before I used to think I was selfish if I did that. And I was somebody that took on the world. I raised my daughter, you know, I help with my grandchildren and do Everything, including this running this business. And um, pr- pretty much I'm a personal organizer for many people, so I have a lot of big houses to handle and all their stuff and my own stuff. So, But I am simplifying it, and I feel really good. Um, uh, oh, exercise. That's the other huge thing. I do CrossFit. And I did stop in the summer, and I was starting to feel, again, like a, a little bit of relapsing. Now I'm starting to do it again. And if I can't do my CrossFit, I walk, I run around the house. I go I I uh we have a bike path near us. We we bike a lot, my husband and I. And that has been huge for me, the exercising. And Ellie, that's really nice that you shared that. I do run, but if I can't run, I walk and that's fine. I mean that 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 helps, even a simple walk, getting outside, you know, and also connecting with friends, with people in the program that understand. And um I'm going to take the advice that you read here as far as um, just finding out what's real. I think that, that, you know, is it real? (laughs) Is this a reality test? Or is this just my own brain thinking? Am I thinking off? You know, because we do get emotional and we do get um, thrown off by things, circumstances, and we don't have drinking to bury that. We have to cope with it. So it's great to have somebody that you can call and talk to and I'm definitely going to reach out and I have been doing that lately and I feel a lot better and then praying you know that be um looking to my higher power and realizing I can't do it all myself that's very important for me so that's pretty much all the things that I do and and I will be having my husband read all this because I think it will help him to understand it more too uh about you know it'll help us in our relationship for him to understand this so this is great that we have this uh, pause information. So that's it for me.
4: That's great, Denise. Thank you. Yeah, the, all of those things are so, so important. And I think, um, you know, we, you touched on it also, that I can be such a defeatist about things. You know, if I'm not doing something yeah. perfectly or not doing enough of it, it's not worth doing. But, you know, and I can, I might go two or three weeks where I don't exercise and I start to feel miserable, but I think, you know, I'm just... I. I forget that literally, if I just get off my butt and go for a ten-minute walk, it literally yeah. reorients my whole, you know, whole entire outlook. It's I'm so black and white about those things. I'm either exercising or I'm not. I forget that I can just move my body. What is it? You know, yeah, um, move a muscle, change the mood. <laughs> you know that.
0: Yeah, really it really helps. Even yeah. before the program tonight, this is Denise. Um, I I was kind of jogging around my house just to get myself like. Thinking better, clear. I mean, it's late for me. I go to bed early now that I don't drink, and um, yeah. it did. It rejuvenated me a little. You know, it got me thinking clearer and a little brighter. So, yeah. so it's it so true. It really yeah. does. Yeah.
4: Well, thank you, Denise. Uh, those are great sure. suggestions and and very helpful. And and um, Kelly, how about you? Well, let's hear Hi. from you. Um, it's
2: similar to Denise, um, since you know I. I One thing I was so professional at Was isolating So I wasn't talking to anyone About my feelings for a long time I would just you know Drink them away or whatever Stuff them down And um, so being sober now I'm in touch with my sponsor I'm in touch with people in recovery So I will run things by then too Like you were saying um, Somebody was saying about real or not real Like it's the same thing Like And my sponsor told me, text me to call me about the silliest thing. Like, you're in a mood because I was texting her, like, I'm in such a foul mood, and I have absolutely no reason to be Mm -hmm. at work. I don't want to look at people. I don't want to talk to people. I am going to keep my head down. And, you know, she would tell me, it's okay. Like, she was not, my sponsor is old school. She doesn't want to hear about pause, and she told me, Point blank, pause, Schmalls. Like, she doesn't want to hear about (laughs) it, which is fine, but it made me feel better when I read about it. And, you know, but when I talked to her about my issues, like with closing down, being unemotional towards my boyfriend, um, you know, I would talk to her about these things in my brain or, you know, sitting on the couch or checking out, and she would tell me, it's okay, feel the feeling, be crabby, be a bitch, just feel it. Like, you have to feel it. Like, don't run away from it. So, you know, she's kind of treating me on the Paul symptoms, you know, just knowing she went through it, too, and there wasn't a name for it when she went through it. Right. You know, so she could relate to, you know, the sugar issue. I mean, that's a struggle for me every week. It's like no sugar, sugar, no sugar, you know, back and forth, back and <laughs> forth.
0: Um, yep.
2: You know, I try to keep it in check, but it's just hard. Um, the One thing that helped me tremendously is exercise, Um I'm not obsessive about it, but it. I know enough, even if I don't feel like going, just go. Go to mm-hmm. the gym. Walk around. Do Not just do, you know, the bike for a little bit. I've been lifting weights. I mean, it gets me tired. It helps me feel better. I mean, the endorphin thing is real. It helps me feel better.
4: It is real, um, yeah.
2: Getting outside. I mean, I'm not really dreading winter, you know, now that it's dark earlier. That's... You know, but I don't, you know, I'm just, I still try to get out of the house, take the girls out, do something. You know, the beach was huge this summer. I, I mean, I really appreciated being outside in nature and rain, anything. Like, I appreciate all that stuff. Um, eating's me. I mean, to, sh- to hear someone say what you're thinking is amazing. I love that. You know, Absolutely. You
4: yeah.
2: Especially, even if I'm not really big at sharing, um, it's I have anxiety with that, but... I go to a women's meeting. Um, I see Denise every Thursday.
0: <laughs> yeah, and,
2: um, it, I share in that meeting for some reason, and I, you know, it's just it's been a blessing to to go there. I didn't want to go there in the beginning. I'm like, oh god, but it's been totally opposite of what I thought. But it helps to hear your story and to connect with people, and you're not alone. That's you know that kept me sick being alone, and you know not being alone, getting out of my head no matter if it's a pity party or laziness, you know, stuff in my, whatever it is. It's just to get out of my head reading. You know, I never really read before, except maybe yeah. what the proof was on the bottle, maybe. But, you know, just getting out of my head, it helped, you know. And talking to other people, I was, I was just, you know, not into being, I mean, social when I was drinking, of course, I was trying to be the life of your party and the best friend and the cute girl, whatever. But, you know, now in reality, it's different this time to, to um, communicate with others, especially when they share, you know, the struggle mm-hmm. that you have in sobriety, you know. So uh, I think I covered everything. And yeah, the tell on good. yourself, you know, when you're feeling down and having anxiety, whether it's, you know, professional help or just someone else in recovery
4: that seems to have helped me definitely Kelly you you spoke about that really articulately the whole if that's really the me too factor you know just having somebody else nod their head and say yep I understand how you feel yeah. it's just that it's we all talked about that I feel a little crazy I feel a little nuts and you don't even need to know why you know I'm glad yeah. that you said that too because I like to try to figure it all out and we don't you know when you think about the way we controlled our emotions through Alcohol or drugs, or you right. know, with other you can do it with food, you can do it with shopping, you can do it with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're literally teaching our brains a, a, a you know a new way of thinking or remembering how it is that we used to do these things. I was like,
2: I was always caught in a hamster wheel of thought. You know, yeah. whether it was keeping mm-hmm. me up at night, whether it was something like getting my car inspected, you know, just something that, or you know, with your children or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obsessing over something silly, and to the point where you can't function. You know.
4: Yep. Yep. The repetitive thinking, the the rumination cycles, they're awful. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: If I could add, this is Denise. Um. Um. The gratitude was something huge for me. Getting grateful, and so Kelly mentioned something about the days getting shorter. And the light, and I, for the last 10 years, I've had that seasonal affective disorder where when the time changes, I could feel that depression. I don't feel that anymore. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm never going to feel that, but I'm doing what I can to keep myself healthy so I don't feel that because I know it's a real thing, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for that. I'm very grateful that um, when I do try to you know, eat less sugar, exercise, keep balance, call people, go to meetings... Um, that's helping and that's such a huge change from all the years that I drank. So that's a real good thing as well. That's really, really good
4: point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you guys. Um Catherine, yeah. how about you? Well, I'm I'm learning
1: so much tonight and, and I really identify with everything that you're all sharing here. Um I appreciate that Kelly mentioned that her sponsor sort of said, you know, pause schmaz. And, <laughs> no, but I appreciate it and you know, this isn't this isn't some new age sort of get off the hook kind of thing that we're talking about. I mean, there's there's a scientific basis for it, but what it's saying to us is, you know, look, these are real things that are happening and now it's a call to action. And if we don't mm-hmm. act, we're gonna relapse. So this isn't it's it's not like okay now you can just sort of sit back and and ho- hope to skate through the next you know eighteen twenty four months and into some you know beautiful new recovery. It's like no, we have to work at our recovery, which is trying on all these new practices that you're all talking about. So, you know, I get what she's saying, and and um, you know, I take it to heart. I, I think that that's it's something that I try to remember every day. Um, The getting outside one was actually huge and very unexpected for me. I mean, I just, I was so, I just wanted to curl up and be under the covers and lie in bed. And it was like, I didn't feel like I could do anything. And then if I went outside, even for 10 minutes or less, it would just totally shift my whole perspective. So I don't know how that works, but that was huge for me. The other one mm-hmm. is, um, you know, kind of in addition to the the prayer um, suggestion that Denise made is the loving kindness meditation, or it's also called Meta, which you can Google. Uh, Jack Cornfield has a really nice version of the loving kindness meditation, and you start by bringing loving kindness. It's a meditation towards yourself, like compassion towards yourself, and then it, it's a practice that you build out towards. Other people, your friends, and then strangers and then enemies, and then the whole world and it just seems to me that meta or compassion is kind of the answer to all of my problems and in the on the note of connectivity i mean i I had only in my first several weeks of you know first few months of recovery, I really relied solely on an online community um and I learned a lot there, but it really wasn't enough for me. I was I was very, very lonely. And I think that that contributed to this anxiety that I described. So that's when I started going to recovery meetings. And we're always talking about this on the show, you know, finding the recovery community that's right for you, have people in real life to um, to share with and to identify with. So now that I have that community. I'm I'm on a chain, a text chain with a bunch of sober women. So whenever things are happening that are overwhelming, somebody can, you know, ping the group and say, here's what's happening. I'm overwhelmed or I'm anxious or depressed or whatever it is. And then the group responds back with feedback. And oftentimes we end up with, okay, let's do some meta together. And we'll, you know, pray or meditate um, as a group. And I don't know why that works, but that works. It gets me back, you know, connected with something bigger than myself. And the next thing I know, I've moved through whatever the issue is or in the case of pause, whatever the symptoms uh, were that were presenting themselves. So, um, you know, connection and compassion have been really important.
4: Catherine, those are that's an absolutely fantastic point. This is Ellie again and I um I love the Jack Kornfield meditation and Cornfield uh, sorry, but and there another one that's really fantastic is Tara Brock, B R A C H. Um she also has a great she has a ton of great um meditations. You can get both of their their podcasts and you just download them onto your iPod and and listen to them. And there are times, like it might be 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I just can't reach out to somebody, and I just just listening to those, hearing somebody else's voice in my ear getting me out of myself. um, It's really, really a fantastic point because it's that compassion piece is hand-in-hand with gratitude. It just gets us out of our own little spin cycle of self. It's a great point. Um, Amanda, you want to chime in?
3: Um. Yeah. So, um. So a few things for me. I actually one of my tools, which is not recommended, was sugar. Um, mm-hmm. I I I did substitute. I think it was two and a half years straight. I had ice cream every night, and I've I've gone I've gone back and forth with that. I actually did a cleanse, and it helped me feel really good. Um, and actually, you know, lose some weight and stay in shape, and keep me motivated to stay in shape. And so, since that time, I have been eating better, and I, I'm pretty good about it for the most of the time. But I do al- allow myself some ice cream. I, I just try to be a, you know, it, not the ridiculous uh, amount that I used to have. But it's, um, it, it is, uh, yeah, that is a little bit of a, a crutch for me. I have to say um but i do remember um going feeling like my um LA, you it's your term I, I know i don't say it right but like my my nerve endings were on the outside of my body and just being like really sensitive to everything um and definitely my community helped me through that my recovery community i went to a ton of meetings i still go to meetings regularly um not as often as I used to, but, it, you know, I was at, uh, for the first year, I went to meetings every day, and anything that I was feeling, I would share. My um, my sponsor actually made me share at every meeting, and it helped me a lot. Like, anything that I, and she didn't make me. She su- strongly suggested. <laughs> and, and But anything that I was going through, I would verbalize. So, you know, I, I didn't realize it, but I was kind of, you know, helping to treat my paw symptoms as they were happening because anything that I was feeling, I just got in a habit of sharing and um and it people helped me with so many things and then one tool that I thought was fabulous for um for well, I guess for reality testing and when they it, um and when they talk about the repetitive thinking um I don't know where I learned this, one of the many programs I attended. But someone said to just say like yell no out loud or stop, and um, I still that do that today. Like there's times where because you know I'm a co- codependent to an extreme, so I can I can get on a, a a negative path in my head like a negative cycle where you know one thing goes wrong and I can I can I can like spiral that into this you know this tornado um, if I let that happen you know where like everything in my life is falling apart and it's just you know i guess it's just how i'm made up and so when i start feeling that way i i don't like feeling that way and so literally saying stop and actually a lot of times i say the serenity prayer too i'm like and do not let my thoughts destroy my peace of mind i just i stop what i'm doing and that that's a huge help so recognizing what's going on and um, so there's something about uh, you know even if there's no one else in the room, just saying out loud like, okay, you know, uh, you know, this needs to end. Um, and another thing, I, I guess I, it, it, I wanted to mention that I remember, um, you know, they say that if you, you know, with these symptoms, they they get better if we treat them and we do all these things. I mean, actually, I didn't start exercising until recently like actually going to a gym Um, but you talked about walking walking is something that i've always loved to do and um, it is good for you and it's funny i read something someone posted something on facebook like in order to do a good walk you have to um, walk at a certain pace where you get your after 10 minutes your heart rate you you know gets to a certain amount and then you walk for another hour all right who has time for that right (laughs) <laughs> so um, I like what you said, Ellie. You know, and what everyone else was saying. You know, it's not. This is not. We're not saying like, okay, this is what you walk to stay in shape. This is what. This is walking to get out of your head. This is walking to treat your mind. May, maybe not necessarily your body. So it's it's really about um, taking a different action to it, a distraction or something like that. So I guess I, I like that. Like you don't have to do this perfectly. You know, you just need to do something. Because um, mm-hmm. I cracked up, and I, I'm like, who, "Yeah, who can? Why? You know, I don't have an hour. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that just feeds my perfectionism, is what that does. Like, if I can't do it for an hour, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm eat like, this pie. You know, like <laughs> I read that,
3: <laughs> and I was like, "That's just that's like I don't know. For me, I, I'm just like that's just dumb. It's just it's like it's it's." Yeah, exactly. It's it's just like, oh, let's just feed, yeah, my little perfectionist mind. Oh, I have to do an hour and, like, time it with my stopwatch or something. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, it, so, I I mean, those are just a couple of points I wanted to add in. We're actually getting really close to the end of our time, so... Um, how about, you, Ellie, how about you? I know you've jumped in here and there. Any other thoughts that you had?
4: I just, yeah, I'm going to be really brief because I have been chiming in here and there, and I just love what everybody had to say. And I, I for me, really honestly, especially because I'm kind of in the grips of some PAW symptoms right now, um, it's it's self-care, self-care, self-care. And I'm terrible at it. It does not come naturally to me. I don't like it. Um, and I, so... What I do now, there's sort of two rules that I follow that that really are treating pause symptoms, even though I don't consciously think of them this way, is, you know, what is the best thing for me right now? Is the the action I'm going to take or the thoughts that are consuming me, are these about other people, or are they about, you know, what's serving me well? And um, that it's totally counterintuitive, and that's where the other people come in. You know, if I'm feeling a, a weird mood, or I'm feeling off, or I'm caught in a cycle of crazy thinking, or um, that's where I need to reach out to somebody else who can say to me, you know, do this, or you know, you deserve to feel this way, or your your feelings are valid, or your feelings won't kill you. I need a lot of help with self care um, because it's I've I've learned really 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 the hard way if I'm and it's putting myself first is not selfish it's the most selfless thing that i can do for the people who love me because i cannot Mm -hmm. give to anybody who i love anything that that they need if i'm not giving it to myself first bottom line absolutely and it's really really hard to do so is this you know if i'm if i have eight million things i need to do do i have time to go for a 10 minute walk no do i have to yes yeah, and that, so the second rule kind of follows the first one, which is if it's making me feel slightly uncomfortable, like saying to somebody real or not real, or asking for help, or vocalizing my mood, which is just sounds like some cheesy Hallmark card kind of bumper sticker thing to do. Like if it's making me feel sort of uncomfortable, that's what I need to do.
1: I need to stretch right.
4: myself just a little bit. Um, and then stop and 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 congratulate me. You I'll know, throw myself a little mini parade. Like you're growing, you're stretching, and you're learning, and you're feeling these damn feelings that you spent 45 years avoiding. You know, these are all things. These are each thing that I do is bringing you know drawing a line in the sand behind me that I'm not going to slip back over if I continue to do them every single day. And um, I, I think the only last point that I want to make is that. We talk a lot about recovery meetings and recovery community and reaching out to other sober people, and I know there are a lot of people who listen to this show who have no idea how to go about doing that or who don't currently have it or who don't feel like they want to try recovery meetings. I mean, listening to this show is a very important first step in that, but I think deep down we all know somebody, we have somebody in our life who gets us enough that we can at least start talking about how we feel. I literally started doing this when I first got sober by talking to myself in the mirror. I would vocalize my Hmm. feelings to myself in the mirror, but at least they were out loud. And when they were out loud, it just sort of changed their form and shape in my head. And, Amanda, you put it really well. Then you get into a practice of starting to say, say to somebody, I'm not feeling, you know, I'm feeling X, Y, or Z, Um, and, you know, ideally finding a sober community is really, I think, the thing that gives us all the most relief. But just start with one small seed change like that, and it's astonishing what else will fall into place as a result of that.
3: Right. Right. Can I just tell you something funny my boyfriend just said to me? He's like, you know, you don't have to say every thought out loud.
0: (laughs) But now it's very natural to me. Yeah, that's not ever
4: something you've struggled with. I can attest to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was huge. Huge.
3: And um, actually, just to jump into Denise, you said it, and, and Ellie, um, and I, I don't know why on this list of, you know, things to treat it like it's a um, – well, uh, well, what I was going to say about what Denise said is, you know, women especially, we are so bad at this whole thing about self-care and, you know, and putting ourselves first, and it is not a selfish thing. And learning that, I know, takes a lot of work, and you need, you really do need other people to help that. And community, I mean, um, you know, we want to hug you through the airwaves, but we can't. You know, having someone to just give you a hug that, you know, when you're having a bad day, that. Makes all the difference in the world And I, I was going to say I don't know why they don't have the li- on the list here Like giving yourself credit For when you get through hard things mm-hmm. um, It's really um, important to acknowledge Like this is not easy And it seems, you know, to Like someone who's not going through this um, Again, I just love, you know Sharing this information with someone Who's not getting sober You know, who doesn't know what it feels like You know, they might think that this is a small thing that you're doing, but you know, literally just—I—I I, I forget what I shared something with Ellie and, and another friend last week, and they—all oh, they were like, "Oh my God, good for you! I can't believe you did that." And I was like, "Yeah," and it really did make me feel good because it was—it was something I had stretched to a place that I don't, and done something that I would never do. And this is isn't that everything that we're doing when we're getting sober is we're stretching in ways that we're—we're we're learning how to live life differently so mm-hmm. it's um you know acknowledging that and you know any step forward that we make i think is really important
4: absolutely yes.
3: um how about everyone else um i you know we're, we have only have a few minutes left and i wanted to see if anyone else had any closing thoughts um so i'll just go around and ask everyone um denise how about you anything that you'd like
0: to add for our listeners in closing um, nothing to add, but I learned so much tonight by just hearing everybody's conversation and all the things that you do, and I realize that we're all the same, that we all feel the same thing, and I'm just so mm-hmm. grateful that you had this on once again and that people can hear this and get help for themselves knowing that there this is normal, this is all part of it, and it passes, it gets better, and that there's such an amount of huge tools out there that we have access to and this show just to, to me i'm just it's huge it's it's wonderful that you did this and that um they have this so i'm going to spread the word you know hopefully people more people will listen to it and um you know it's nice that it, we have access to it so yeah this this was great yeah so thank you and i've learned a lot a lot more than i do yeah <laughs> so thank
3: yeah. you sure well, thank you
2: denise How about you, Kelly? Any thoughts that you'd like to add? Um, I was really happy to um, be part of this. It's like I said, like sharing and reaching out to other people um, was something I was so terrified from for years, and alcoholism is like the loneliest disease. I mean, Mm. especially for people, like you mentioned, that are still drinking. And for me, in the end, it was just so ugly and so lonely. Yeah. If, like, anyone can resonate with any of our stories or relate to anything, just know that getting those first few days is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this can, you know, resonate with anyone to um, just get that, get over that hump and ask for help. Um, Absolutely. And know that, you know, there's so many different ways. Like, that was the hardest part. This is hard, too, but there's so many more answers. To live sober and it's joyful, and you know, to be free of that, you know, of alcohol is just it's been amazing. So, I hope you know, others can experience it.
4: Well said, Kelly. Thank you so much. Yeah.
2: You're
3: welcome. All right. Thank you very much. And actually, Catherine, and um, I've just got a 60 second warning, so I guess I have to wrap up. <laughs> Um, do you have a two-second, any two-second thoughts before we do that? It gets, it
1: gets better. It will pass, and you're not alone.
4: That's pretty much <laughs> sums it up.
0: <laughs>
3: That's great. All right. Well, and, thank
0: and you, and can I quickly say thank Kelly? you for the meditation, the meditation share. That was great. You're this welcome. Oh yeah, check them out. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Great.
4: Okay. You're
3: um, so I just want to say um, thank you, everyone, tonight for being on the show. It was wonderful. Um, and just remember, pause does not tend to, to be there all the time. They come and go. Oh, wow. Most people will find that they have disappeared within the first few months of recovery. It's important for those dealing with pause to realize that the symptoms will almost certainly disappear once they are established in recovery.
0: So we wish Amen. you all
3: a great evening and have a good night. Thanks so much everybody. Thank you. Have a good night.
2: Thank you. Take care.
0: Bye. Good
2: night. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye.